Hey, hey, it's Coach Dr. Kim. I started this journey after having a stroke at the age of 36 years old. Since that time, I have moved forward with helping people live their best life, and I haven't turned back. This show is about learning to be present, open, and intentional in every area of your life. Keep listening to hear what I've been thinking, and be sure to rate, subscribe, and review. Okay. Hey, hey, it's Coach Dr. Kim, and I have with me Tim Raiderstorff talent partner at Ann Health and former chief information officer at OSU College of Nursing. Hi, Tim. Hi, Kim. Thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely. I'm so glad you agreed to be on the show. And I just want to kick off by asking you, how did you land in healthcare? So that's a great question with a pretty loaded answer. So I'll try to be concise with it. Um, but what your audience can't see uh, by being on this call uh, but I mean, on this podcast is the enormous amount of privilege that I was born with. Um, so I uh, grew up in uh, a pretty stable family, um, financially and, and uh, parentally, um, and uh, went to a college prep school. So along with that came, um, you know, a expectation that if you were good at math and science, you would go into pre-med. And if you weren't, you'd go into law school. Um, so the, um, the components of that, that, that led to the choice of, of being a, a white male from a, from a college prep school was, all right, you're good at math and science, go be a physician. Um, so without really recognizing the why behind that, I, I kind of jumped in feet first and went to Ohio State to do uh, pre-med. And uh, at the time, there were only three options there for pre-med. It was biology chemistry or human nutrition, and none of those resonated with me, uh, which should have been my first sign that pre-med probably wasn't the, the right choice for me, um, but I still had, uh, you know, a lot of naivety and uh, probably too much confidence in myself to, to push forward there, um, so I designed my own major called humanistic medicine, and it was built off of the bedside manner things, the human elements of, of healthcare and interacting with patients. So that should have been my first sign that nursing was the right path for me. Uh, but again, keeping my head down and, and doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing. Um, so I made it through Ohio State with uh, a pre-med major called Humanist Medicine that no one in the world had ever graduated with before and uh, mediocre GPA and mediocre MCAT scores. So I didn't make it into med school. And um, that during that time, I, I was also living with my cousin who was a neurosurgeon and saw what his life was like as a, as a physician and, and start, slowly started to recognize that, you know, that the, the patient interaction was what I was more interested in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I was, I, my brother uh, reached out to me during that, you know, pretty challenging time of not knowing what to do with my life and said, hey, come visit me uh, or come work with me as a volunteer at the Hole in the camp in Connecticut. And this is a camp set up for kids with sickle cell, HIV and cancer. Um, so we went out there and spent a week volunteering and I started to fall in love with healthcare again and saw that there was this amazing camp that was essentially a, a Hemont clinic run by nurses in the middle of rural Connecticut. And all these nurses uh, were doing the things that I wanted to be doing in healthcare. So I decided to go back, uh, leverage my humanistic medicine um, degree and use the prereqs from that to be prereqs to get into nursing school. Um, so I finished a couple of things at a community college in Cincinnati and then enrolled in Xavier's 
uh, direct entry master's program in nursing. So uh, it was a, a very circuitous path, um, one that if I had listened to myself earlier on, uh, I may have, I may have um, found my pathway there sooner, but very grateful for how my path ended up leading me into, uh, into healthcare. And that was the entry point. When I graduated from that program, I started at Nationwide Children's on their uh, PT mock unit. Yeah, that was a very <laughs> um, circuitous, as you said, pathway. Yeah. But, um, but you know, you learned a lot along the way, it sounds like. And one of the things that oddly stood out to me is that you stay with your cousin that was a neurosurgeon, you said, mm-hmm. which is really, really just strange in a way, because when I was deciding what I was going to do in life, um, my niece was in the hospital. She had gotten into an accident, um, got hit in a, by a car actually. But I, one of my pivotal moments in my life that led me to nursing was um, she had neurosurgery. Mm-hmm. And I saw she was on the neurosurgery floor and interacted with a lot of people in that world. It's just, I don't know, when you said that, I was like, huh. <laughs> and yeah. it was just, that was really bizarre to me that we both kind of, cross paths with neurosurgery folks that we saw some interactions there so I was like oh okay we're connected (laughs) yeah it was a really interesting experience I actually worked in the in his uh, lab Mm -hmm. so he had he was developing a new surgical approach to a process called tethered cord syndrome Oh, yeah. uh, we go down that rabbit hole that uh, that'll take me 10 minutes to explain but uh, <laughs> I work in the lab actually uh, helping him mimic that uh, that uh, disease state or that syndrome in cadavers and then he would come oh. in and do the surgery uh, that cool. show that his surgery approach surgical approach worked um, so yeah it was a very very interesting summer spent in the cadaver lab so you really got pulled into it mm-hmm. okay so tell me a little bit about your time at um in nursing college. I mean, mm-hmm. how did that, did that really speak to you after you went on that journey and discovered that's what you wanted to do? Like, how did that resonate? Yeah, that, that was a really great time for me. Um, I, you know, I was one of the people who came into uh, nursing college. My, it was a direct entry CNL program. So I had gotten some great uh, feedback from one of my um from one of my college roommates' mother, who was a faculty member at a local college that had an accelerated BSN program, mm-hmm. and she said to me, "You know, don't don't tell my, my admissions partner, uh, department this, but if you're going to come back, I think you should come back and go to the accelerated master's program at Xavier. Don't come to our accelerated bachelor's. It's only mm-hmm. an extra three months, uh, and when you finish that, the opportunities are going to open up to you exponentially." Mm-hmm. Um, so again, another one of those. Uh, privilege moments where, you know, had the right connections, the right people who knew the right information. Right. And that opened up a lot of doors to me. Um, but I loved my time in nursing school. I went into nursing knowing that I wanted to do PT monk. Um, so I was able to kind of tailor my clinical rotations to get as much PT experience as possible. And, um, you know, met a lot of really great people. Um, our class was pretty small. We only had about 30 people in that program. Oh, wow, that's nice. Uh, so, you know, able to make a lot of a lot of meaningful relationships and, uh, you know, see a lot of talented people who were 
like me who had a bachelor's degree in something else had probably worked somewhere else before and then decided that nursing was their path forward. So uh, that was, that was really exciting to see. Okay. And then you worked in Hemont for a while after that. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, you ended up as a chief information officer at chief information innovation. I keep wanting to say information. The CEO is always, you know, it's almost always. And that's the innovation in it. Like it's not, I've never even heard of a chief innovation officer. Like, how does that happen? (laughs) Uh, Again, uh, uh, coming back to privilege, right place, right time, (laughs) right here. Um, You know, and then for me, I think I had the right passion for it. Yeah. Um, So I went to the College of Nursing in 2014 at Ohio State uh, and was running their continuing education department and then teaching quality in their nurse practitioner programs Um, and identified some opportunities for revenue generation uh, through continuing education and then also saw a pretty big gap in um, innovation programming. So at the time we were developing some curricular components to innovation, but not a lot of community outreach. Um, So in doing community outreach, uh, got the opportunity to speak at a couple of national events and things kind of snowballed from there. Um, So we had a, we still have, there's still a very visionary Dean at Ohio State's College of Nursing, Dr. Bern Melnick. um, And she saw the value of of that title um, at the College of Nursing and for me and, and said, hey, I think you'd be great at this. And uh, that opened up a, a lot of doors to, to our college and to me professionally as well. Yeah. So you keep bringing up privilege. So I didn't intend to ask you this. So forgive me if you don't want to answer it, but I think you can do this. <laughs> um, so privilege in the sense that you're speaking of is white male, I do believe. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, but white male, uh, middle class. Right. Environments that have been surrounded by people who are overflowing with talent. And uh sometimes the success of the team looks like the success of me. But sorry right. for cutting you off. Um, no, no, no. I, I also though want to see hear your perspective of how you what what did that feel like though? You're so you have this lens of privilege and then you then come into an environment where you're immersed and surrounded by a predominantly female and white female profession Mm -hmm. um like what is your perspective on that yeah um I mean I've always been drawn to working with women uh, powerful women and have found that to be a way that I, I thrive and succeed um, so even now working at Ant Health, I report uh, directly to our, our SVP of operations, uh, who is a phenomenal female leader. Um, and, you know, the, the, the things that I think uh, that I'm really excited about in this role is having the opportunity to, to be some of the change that we need to see. Um, and making hiring decisions and recruiting decisions and finding people uh, who who uh, haven't had the same level of privilege that I or my previous colleagues have had, um, but also share the, the same passions and the opportunity for change or desire for change. Um, and going along with that too, uh, one of the one of the great many great inequalities in healthcare is that uh, the people serving our communities uh, are not a, not typically a, a demographic representation of the communities they serve. 
Right. Um, so I have a lot of passion for, particularly in, in nursing, uh, increasing the representation of, of men. Um, but I would love to, to focus on the BIPAC, BIPOC male representation uh, yeah. in nursing. Because um, in, in, until we have a, a true representative workforce, um, I, I worry that the structures that are in place that have kept the, uh, kept um, people of color from having the same represent uh, the same opportunities um, as as my, my white colleagues. Um, I think in, until we address that and the access and the entry point issues, um, then the, we're going to continue to see the same issues occur. Um, so that's that's one of the things that I try to do with with my privilege. I, I usually do a privilege disclaimer actually when I when I speak now um, and talk about the privilege that I've had, and then uh, my call to action at the disclaimer is. Uh, if you feel like your voice is not being heard or if there's an opportunity for your voice to be amplified, I want you to reach out to me and please let me use my voice to help amplify yours. Um, I love that. <laughs> so that's, that's, and I'd love your perspective on this because I have so much to learn here, Kim. Um, but to me, that feels like the, I don't know if it's the easiest or the best path, but it, it feels like the path that I can I can provide right now. I'm sure I have my eyes can be opened up to other paths and opportunities, um, but I think using my voice is probably one of the better ways that I can I can change the future and make it more accessible uh, and loving and caring and, and all the things that would make uh, our communities better. Um, so I would love your thoughts on on that and if there are other opportunities that I could be doing better. Mm-hmm. No, I think in full transparency, that is one of the best ways that you can be helpful and all people that want to be allies can be helpful. I mean, I myself have been in situations where people that I trust, I have been walking into something and I've said, listen, I know that I'm not heard in this meeting and to fight that fight today would not be beneficial to what we want so I need you to speak up yeah and we're on the same page and you are heard in this meeting so you need to talk because Mm -hmm. when I talk they don't hear so you need to say something and so in that I mean and unfortunately that has to be done but sometimes when you want to move forward until you can change the culture or change the overall perspectives you have to use your allies to be the voice while you work on dismantling that structure or changing people's perspectives. But in the meantime, you can use, utilize your allies and people like yourself who are heard while you work on those other factors. And so that's, as we, that's the strategies we have to utilize in partnerships as we continue to move forward and work on a, you know, a better world better world is, is mm-hmm. definitely, definitely needed. So thank you for, for sharing that with me. And uh, yeah, I mean, my initial reaction to that is how awful. Yeah, uh, yeah. It is awful, um, but it's reality. It is reality. Mm-hmm. And the only way that we can fix reality is to to interact with it, right? Right, right. Um, so it's, I don't, I don't know if I have anything intelligent to add to that, yeah. but it, it feels awful. Uh, but um, um, 
grateful for the opportunity to help. Yeah. It used to make, you know, I used to kick and fight and scream and be mad about it, but now I just kind of embraced it and said, but we still got it done. Mm-hmm. And, and then six months down the line, somehow magically one day I speak and they're like, great idea. And I'm like, oh my goodness, they finally have mm-hmm. come over to our side and now I can speak and everything. So it, eventually I've seen it, I've seen it, I've seen it shift, mm-hmm. but it just doesn't happen overnight. Yeah. So that there's, there's often hope at the end of the tunnel. There's light at the end of the tunnel. It just, it's a long haul. It's a long haul. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? We just have to keep I mean, at it. It is. And I, I admittedly, I can't sit here and say that I, I can empathize with that. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I can certainly imagine what that feels like, but I, I've never been in your yeah. shoes to face those challenges before. Um, what, a, what a challenge. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that we're, we're you are, are pushing boundaries and finding the way to, to be the change that we so desperately need. Yeah. And I'm grateful that we, that there are people like you that are willing to step up because so many people shrink back because they don't want to be on the outside. They don't want to be like, oh, you're with them or you stand up for women or whatever group, you know, like, oh gosh, here here he comes again. (laughs) I think think some people are are just scared too. Exactly. It is. They're scared. They don't don't know what to say. They don't know how to say. And so um, fear will paralyze you. So I totally get it. Mm -hmm. Um, So when people are, you're brave, (laughs) that's what I'm here for. When you're you're able to muster up the courage um, and what Brene Brown says, you're you're, you're able to rumble, Mm -hmm. then um, it's really really powerful. Um, Speaking of that, you, um, so you took on a new role this year. And I always find transitioning new roles to be an act of bravery um, mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like you're just kind of stepping out there and doing something new. Um, what, what, you know, what brought that on? Not, I mean, you can tell us how much as you want, but, yeah. and, then, and what are you doing like at Ann Health exactly? I mean, I know your title, talent partner, but what does that mean? Be right back after this quick break. So I left what I would have considered the best role in nursing, which is the chief innovation officer position at Ohio State, uh, to what I consider now to be the new best role in nursing, which is the talent partner at End Health. Um, so I've, I've always, you know, going back to that first story of kind of trying to build my own path and, and find my way, um, I, haven't, I haven't felt the pressure of um, of some of the constraints I think some people feel within our profession of nursing of, oh, you went to a med search floor and you have to stay as a med search nurse for the, you know, the longevity of your career. Um, I came into nursing, one, because I thought I wanted to do PT monk and I love that role, but two, um, I didn't have to train to be a pulmonologist and just focus on that for the entire, the entirety of, of my professional career. Um, there's so much opportunity to shift and iterate and pivot in nursing that mm-hmm. made it so attractive to me. Um, so I, um, I found a team years ago uh, that, that had initially started recruiting me to a company in Columbus called Cover My Meds. Um, and this was right as I was getting the chief innovation officer role. And, uh, you know, it was, it 
what there's no job offer and nothing along those lines. It was just preliminary talks with them, but I really enjoyed the people. Um, and I made a mental note that if an opportunity came up downstream, uh, these would be great people that I'd want to work with. Um, so after spending uh, over five years as the chief innovation officer at Ohio State, I started to feel like I wasn't, wasn't doing the things that made me so, uh, so uh, qualified for that job and, and trying to, I, before I took that job, I uh, had two failed startups. I was learning a lot through that process, engaging with tech commercialization at Ohio State quite a bit. So I was deep in the trenches of doing the work and, yeah. and then doing the chief innovation officer work. Uh, I had preemie twins, uh, then another child, and you know the, the extracurricular slowed down quite a bit. Yeah. So um, the, I, I started to feel like I wasn't living the work anymore and started to find that I was really craving that. Um, so I talked to this team who was now at since left cover my meds was starting uh, a new care model in healthcare that was focused on reversing chronic disease. And um, it felt like an opportunity that I could not say no to. Um, so the people were phenomenal. Um, the opportunity for impact was was exceptional, and um, the 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 opportunity for me to grow personally was going to be uh, another another instance similar to when I became the the first chief innovation officer at Ohio State. I had, there's so much uh, opportunity for growth and learning and networking, um, and I was just so excited by the opportunity and couldn't say no. Um, mm. So for some people, uh, you know, leaving their dream job to, to chase another dream um, feels risky. And, um, but that, that kind of wasn't my talk track as, as we went through this. Um, so, you know, it, it just felt like the next logical step in, in a career that's going to take twists and turns um, and really leaning into being comfortable, being uncomfortable. Uh, with whatever lies ahead professionally. Yeah. yeah, I'd say that's pretty brave. I, I mean, even though I'm trying to be more brave, I, I don't know if I'm that brave. Like you got, you got the trophy. <laughs> well, but, but let's dissect that really quick. So, like the things that were keeping that that were keeping me at Ohio State was working with great people, mm-hmm. um, a, a solid job that you know probably wasn't going to go anywhere. Um, great health benefits and, and great impact. So when I go to and health, um, the opportunity to work with really great people still exists. Um, we've raised $57 million. So the benefits mm. and the compensation are, are not risky. Um, if, you know, now if we don't, if we're not good stewards of the funding, we don't meet our goals, that's a problem. Yeah. But if we say, if we do what we say we will do, which is a core tenet of mine is, is do what you say you'll do. Um, then we're going to be fine financially. Right. Um, the opportunity for impact is still there. And then the growth was, was much higher on this side than it was staying where I was currently at. Yeah. Um, that the opportunity for, for personal and professional growth was higher. So when I, when I, you know, did a pros and cons or risk stratification, the risk yeah. was actually, not going the the brave thing would have been to stay and hope for better yeah to take the opportunity in front of me 
So um, it feels, you know, it feels like I took this big leap when you write it down on paper. Um, but when I knew what the people here expected of me, and I knew the opportunity for impact, and I knew the way that the people here would take care of me, um, didn't, it didn't feel like that brave a decision. Yeah. It actually felt a little selfish because <laughs> I, I was able to, to get what I wanted out of the scenario. Right. Yeah, when you break it down that way, yeah, when you take the risk analysis part of it, it does, yeah. And that, because when I think about the risk part, you it's more of the financial family, you know, right? Mm-hmm. So you think like, oh my gosh, am I going to have health insurance? Am I going to have a steady paycheck? You know, <laughs> that's always the thing in the back of my mind. But when you break it down mm-hmm. like that, it's like, oh, we'll be okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then what's on the other side of that risk too? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, the the potential for me to grow professionally, have new opportunities, um, new revenue streams for my family. Um, you know, all those things exist. There, there's upside to any decision that you make. And uh, to me, um, the upside of working here with these great people, you know, focus on a mission that I think everyone can get behind uh, of reversing chronic illness. Um, it, it became a no-brainer. Yeah, because one of the best innovators I know, she has since become, you know, a multimillionaire. But back in the day, she, you know, she had to sell her car, ride a bike. Mm -hmm. Just (laughs) it was just like everybody thought she was crazy, (laughs) but it paid off in the end. But that that's just, you know, I'm more risk averse than that. But but, um, so, you know, some people just have that ability to go all in. And so, yeah. I'm there with you. I, I, <laughs> I just want to, I guess, reiterate that again. When when you think about the risk, the this isn't the risk here. Like I wasn't leaving to start my own company, right? No, being with no health insurance or nothing along those lines. <laughs> um, I was I was joining a very established team who's done amazing things and had was, was highly resourced. So, um, but as as a talent partner, I don't think I answered that question. So. I'm, I'm uh, in charge of developing our talent pool here at End Health. So as we develop new care models and new, new pathways to uh, help patients or help people uh, who are suffering, um, you know, we, we are developing novel and new approaches, uh, approaches to, to helping um, them identify the root cause of their illnesses and then address them through behavioral change um, that will hopefully lead to a dramatic decline and reversal of, of the disease and the pain that they're inflicted with. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I do want to add though, that, um, I don't know if you refer to yourself this way, but, um, I would characterize you as humble, um, which is not a bad characteristic to have. You don't necessarily brag on yourself, but, um, if I was doing like your yearly review, I would say you downplay your accomplishments way too much. Oh. Um, <laughs> I would say talk, brag about yourself a little bit. Um, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, I think that you do a lot. Um, I appreciate that you um, speak freely about what you're, that you um, come from a place of privilege. I would also say that you also um, have accomplished things through merit as well, that you work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that as well. Well, thank you. Uh, my coach, my executive coach would be very proud to hear that. Cause that's something that we've been working on. Um, cause I have received feedback in the past that 
I may not come across it as humble. Um, so ah. I, I appreciate I appreciate that insight from you because uh, that's yeah. something I've been working really hard at over the last few years. Well, then maybe um, it's striking the balance of you know yeah. you can down you can be humble without you know going all the way to that yeah. side. <laughs> Avoid the extremes. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's a it's a tricky balance, um, but you know one of the one of the key aspects of privilege that we've talked about so much here with innovation, I think, is is another component to, to what you just talked about with risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, the, the, one of the other reasons I talk about privilege is because I'm coming at this from a very different. Everyone's at a different point in their journey, right? But the the journey that the point in my journey where I'm at right now the risk stratification is so minimal um, that, you know, as long as I'm putting food on the table for my family and being able to pay the mortgage and have health insurance, we're, we're probably going to be fine. Um, yeah. You know, so that's, that's not something that that's weighing on me as heavily as other people at different stages in their journey. I don't, right. have, I don't have college to pay for right now. I don't yeah. have all these other things. So one of the one of the things I like talking about is the privilege when you are in the innovation sphere is recognizing that that's going to kind of ebb and flow based off of your life situations and knowing when the timing is right uh, is really going to be a, a key indicator on when you should make changes in your life and and right now I feel like we are at we're at this time in between different areas of, of pressure um, that may that that afforded the opportunity even more right. Very true. Well, so let's see. We've talked about a lot of different things. Um, and like you said, your journey has gone in very different ways and places. But um, you've, it's like you've, you've lived a lifetime in a short amount of time, but <laughs> you got you got many years to go. Um which brings me to my um, hallmark question at, that I always close out with. Um, with all these things and different moving parts and pieces, it's very important that um, we, for me, that I have a way to stay grounded. And so mm-hmm. I like to ask other people how they do that. And so I would like to pose this question to you. How do you stay present, open, and intentional in your everyday life? It's a great question that I have a lot of, I have a lot of work to do, particularly on the present component, Um, you know, starting at a a new startup, being so excited about the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, My presence, particularly at home, could be stronger. The irony behind that is um, staying open and intentional is, for me, um, is all focused on family life. I, I, the biggest value that I place in my life is the relationships I have with my wife and my children. Uh, and then beyond that with my parents and siblings and extended family. So, um, you know, that, that's where a lot of my energy comes from is spending time with family um, and recognizing that, you know, when, when all is said and done, the thing that I'm gonna take most, uh, you know, put the most weight on the, the marks or the, or, or anything else, it's not going to be the bank account. It's not going to be the resume. It's going to be uh, if my kids think I did the best that I could and my mm-hmm. wife thinks that I did the best that I could and helping them 
uh, find the joy that's in their lives. Absolutely. And I can affirm that everyone, because when scheduling this interview, Tim was very clear <laughs> that yeah. it would not be during family time. <laughs> so he holds true to that value and he sticks to it. Um, so um, thank you for sharing that with us. And um, thank you for carving out this time to talk with me. I, I didn't know this much about you, so I'm so glad <laughs> that we were able to spend this time together. Um, and to learn so much about the wonderful things that you are doing, have done and continue to do and that you're doing at Ann Health now. And I think that we'll definitely, I know that I'll definitely have to have you back on the show because Ann Health seems like they're well on their way to doing great things and preventing um, and curing or helping. I don't even know what, what's the verbiage? That reversing. Reversing. Yes. Reversing. Let me get it right. Reversing. Um, I could use some reversal of chronic health <laughs> problems in my own life. So we may need to talk all, offline about that. And I'm sure many of us can, especially in the United States, we got issues. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so you got a big market for that. Um, <laughs> so um, thanks for having us um, people and share the word about this show. And this has been Coach Dr. Kim and Tim Raidersdorf. And you have heard what we've been thinking. To schedule a session with Kim, visit www.kimrages.com where you can learn more about her. You can also book a free life coaching consultation. Find the link to her book, Meeting Just Fine, A Life-Changing Encounter, available on Amazon.com. View her TED-style talk and download useful resources. Tune in next week for more I've Been Thinking, Kim's Coaching.